what we're trying to say is like, you know, let's look at what the problem is and what are some better ways to solve it rather than say, let's just stick with every, the way we've been doing things for the last 50 years. Welcome to What's the Data Point from Citizens Budget Commission and Gotham Gazette. I'm Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. And I'm Carol Kellerman from Citizens Budget Commission. Thanks for joining us here today. We're in our last couple of episodes of What's the Data Point for 2017. If you've missed any of our great episodes, you can find those all for your holiday listening, whether you're driving or on the train or wherever you might be. If you need a break from family, friends, etc., you can find all our uh, past episodes wherever you get your podcasts and also on the Gotham Gazette and CBC websites. Uh, So we're excited for our episode here today where we are joined by Chris Jones of the Regional Plan Association, who Carol will introduce further and provide today's data point. Carol? Today's data point is 1996. That is the last time a comprehensive regional plan was issued by the Regional Plan Association, which is a highly respected century-old organization that conducts research on issues of land use, transportation, the environment, economic development, and opportunity in the tri-state region. Since its inception, RPA has brought together policy experts, regional planners, analysts, and advocates to think about the challenges facing the tri-state region. And every few decades, in 1929, 1968, and 1996, the RPA has prepared and published a plan that takes the very long view to propose plans and policies to guide the future of New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. The new plan was released last month. It contains 61 separate recommendations in four action areas that represent major challenges and areas of opportunity. Here to discuss the fourth regional plan with us is Chris Jones, Senior Vice President and Chief Planner at RPA. Since joining RPA in 1994, he's led many multidisciplinary initiatives to improve economic, social, and environmental conditions in the New York City, New Jersey, Connecticut region. He's written many studies and articles on regional development and urban policy, and before joining RPA, he was a special assistant to the Deputy Mayor for Planning and Development in New York City. Thanks for joining us, Chris. Very glad to be here. Thanks, Carol. Thanks, Ben. Hey, Chris. So this is your second regional plan. Uh, yes. You, you, you got <laughs> I'm on one of the few that <laughs> has, we had a role in both. Yeah. So yeah. so maybe just start start there. Uh, yeah. Tell us a little bit about having been there for the 96 plan and now you have mm-hmm. the new plan out. Um, what's your perspective on that? How how the 96 plan go and what's your big hopes for this one? Yeah. Each of the plans that we've done has really st- try to start a conversation about the difficult questions that, you know, people don't, you know, think that we can really address because they're just too hard. Um, And they all take, uh, you know, they all try to address what the critical issues of the time were. And if you go back to the early 90s, I mean, we put it out in 1996, but it really started in like 1989, 1990. So if you think of what the city was like at that time and what it was going through, obviously a very different place than it was today. Um, so, 
at that point, I mean, the big fears was that New York City was just going to continually fall behind places like London and Paris and Tokyo. I mean, it was, you know, the you know crime reached its peak in 1991. You know, there you know there was a lot of population and job loss to other places. So. The focus of the third plan was really to, you know, how do we get, you know, New York City and the region, you know, kind of back on a good economic footing? And in particular, to start to think about, it's time to start, you know, looking at, you know, investing in, you know, new infrastructure and new transportation projects, new development projects. So a lot of the things that we put on the, uh, in that plan that we recommended, uh, you know, were things that, you know, People were thinking it's just you know they're it's just a uh, you know a bridge too far. They were things like the Second Avenue subway. They were things like East Side access connecting Long Island Railroad into Grand Central Terminal. Uh, things that have happened since then. You know there is you know was a new tunnel under the under the Hudson River, which hasn't happened yet, but hopefully will. There was congestion pricing, which you know back again, back again. <laughs> so we'll just keep recommending uh -huh. it until it happens. Uh, you know so it was. So it really, I think, generated a conversation about starting to invest in those in those systems again, and I think that was probably its biggest contribution. Sort of a revitalization. I mean, or maybe that's my word, but revitalization, and also just you know creating you know uh, you know capacity for for growth beyond what we had already. I mean, there was you know, you know obviously the big things at the time were you know, just you know making the city safer. You know, just you know the you know a lot of you know, basic investments in the transit and housing systems, et cetera. But, uh, you know, but once that, you know, you filled up that space, you know, how is the city going to, and the region going to grow beyond that? So that was one of the big, one of the big pieces at the time. Um, so this plan, when we started looking at this about five years ago, um, we, the city and the region were obviously very different place. And we started looking, you know, okay, so what are the issues that, you know, we're really not addressing now? Because it's, it's you know, this, uh, the city has, was obviously doing much better economically. And as a matter of fact, you know, one of the big things we found is that there was just a, a complete reversal of what we've been assuming for the last 50 years is that, you know, kind of the suburbs were growing rapidly and the city, when it was doing well, was kind of limping along and when it was doing poorly was... Uh, you know, was you know was in decline, and you know, so we've had a you know, it's a, a complete flip flop with that, where the you know just about all of the economic growth has been in the city, whereas the suburbs have been relatively flat. So, um, so that was one of the pieces. But fundamentally, it was we had seen all of this uh, you know economic growth in uh, in the city and throughout the region, but people weren't feeling it. You know, incomes were relatively flat. Uh, you know, housing costs had overtaken the way where income growth is going. Uh, people were, uh, you know, were both, you know, resistant and scared of additional growth that you could see. And so, part of our, uh, you know, part of our our challenge with this is to is to make the case that you know, no, you need to continue this type of economic growth, but you need to do it in a way that broadens prosperity for more people that, uh, you know, that addresses, you know, fears of displacement when it was happening, that provides the, uh, you know, the infrastructure, not just transportation, but I would include schools and parks and things and elements like that with it so that people can see that you're actually going to have, you know, a better quality of life when this happens as well. I, yeah, I was struck by that equity strain that's that's throughout this mm -hmm. plan. It's, it's sort of an interesting component and aligns with a lot of the political zeitgeist of the time and inequality and, mm -hmm. you know, the city becoming more unaffordable for many, um, a, a pretty interesting element. Um, so you've got four major areas here um, to this plan, this 
this regional plan um, for the tri-state area, a 25-year plan, um, pretty you know ambitious undertaking. Transportation, institutions, climate change, affordability. Um, what are some of the big proposals here? You know, let's sure. you know we we got sort of the context of your thinking. What are some of the big things that you want people to say, oh, that is a big idea, an interesting idea mm-hmm. for the region's mm-hmm. future? Sure. So I'm going to – I won't start with transportation because <laughs> I will – you know, we'll get there. But let's let's use climate change, um, you know, because it's something which is – obviously, it's here now. Uh, you know, we've uh, – you know, uh, you know, besides, you know, the impact of, of, of Sandy, you know, you're actually starting to see, you know, kind of sea level rise affecting different places. But it's such a big thing that people don't know where to begin to address it. You know, it's, it's like, okay, so I know that this – that, uh, you know, kind of the Rockaways are going to be flooded, you know, 50 years now. What do I do with that? <laughs> you know, so uh, – so, uh, so a couple of the big ideas that we're uh, that we want to kind of really, you know, get across with this is 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 one to uh, it's 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 actually a fundamental one that other regions had that we don't have, which is just a uh, you know a a an institution to address it on a region wide basis. So we have a regional coastal commission that would help you know a lot of the smaller municipalities that really don't have the capacity to to address it and coordination across these different places. And we're also attaching some, uh, you know, a funding mechanism to it. Uh, so, uh, because the way funding works with, with, uh, you know, with climate adaptation is that you have a big, you know, a big storm or a big event, and then the federal government comes through with, you know, money to kind of rebuild. But nobody, there's no steady funding stream to really address adaptation throughout. So, what we're proposing, and this is something we actually had some help with some folks from Goldman Sachs put together is, is, uh, uh, is have a, you know, state adaptation funds that would be capitalized with a, uh, you know, a small surcharge on homeowners insurance of different, of different types. So it would be in New York State, it would be about, you know, $5 a month uh, overall to kind of, but that could be leveraged and capitalize this over the long run. Uh, the other, you know, kind of big climate idea that, uh, you know, we would really like to, uh, you know, uh, you know, move the conversation is the idea of a, of a regional, you know, carbon pricing idea, a cap and trade system, much like what California is doing already. So we already have, uh, you know, a carbon trading system for power generation in the Northeast through the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative, REGI. Um, what we're talking about is broadening that to include transportation and heating fuels and, uh, and also, you know, potentially, you know, kind of combining the Northeast market with California. That would be about the equivalent of the economy of half of the United States. So we think you can get a 20 to 30 percent reduction in greenhouse gases from that. You could also produce up to $3 billion a year that you could invest in transit and other types of pieces for it. Both Did, clearly going to be very popular politically. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yes. So how do we make this happen? Is that your implicit question, well, it's, it's. I think it's a problem yeah. of planning in general, yeah. is that people who plan think about big ideas and things that aren't being addressed. Mm -hmm. And a large part of the reason they're not being addressed is because they take funding and no one wants to address the funding issues. So here, you know, you're going to tell homeowners who should chip in because it's their insurance that Mm -hmm. ends up paying 
Right. And many of them have the federal insurance and shouldn't probably be building in areas that mm -hmm. are subject to risk, but they are, and then the federal government has to compensate for this. Right. So it's a totally appropriate thing to suggest. But first of all, no one wants to come forward with ideas to charge homeowners. Mm -hmm. And it also requires a regional assessment. And then you get into right. different jurisdictions, and it doesn't work if only one region, one state, or one mm -hmm. aspect of the region mm -hmm. imposes the charge. So yeah. they're very, right. very fragile coalitions, and it's hard to get a coalition behind these types of ideas. Right. So I think the this along with a lot of other ideas, you know, kind of we put out, you know, here's here's what we think the ideal is for this to happen and take place. And in the real political world, it doesn't end up being that ideal, but you can move towards that um, in a number of ways. And a lot of times it's just having the stars aligned. So having the ideas and plans in place and out there so that when, you know, God forbid, the next storm hits. And, you know, exactly. some people say it takes two or three of these storms to really kind of get people to do some things exactly. that are hard. It uh, takes a crisis, but you have a framework ready yeah. for... Yeah, we certainly hope, you know, we can get some of these implemented before without that sort of thing. But, uh, you know, this, you know, what's happening with the subways and the transit system is a very similar thing. When we started doing this plan, uh, you, know, uh, you know, four or five years ago, yeah, Subway system's working pretty well. Uh, you know, the big thing was, you know, was, was housing prices and affordability. That's, you know, kind of the, what was big on people's mind. And so that's what we thought was going to get, uh, you know, uh, be kind of the leading edge perhaps for what, it, for what we were doing. Um, uh, you know, but, you know, when we, <laughs> in the six months leading up to when we put this plan out, uh, you, know, you know, suddenly, uh, you know, clearly the, both the subway and commuter rail systems were just, you know, starting to deteriorate from biggest thing, obviously, from lack of maintenance. But there's both a short and a long-term problem with what's happening with the transportation. You know, the short term is that we just haven't put the money into maintaining the system, and that needs to be addressed. Longer term, we've really outgrown the transportation system that we have. You know, yeah, that, it's been I'm, in place for, clear, yeah. Yeah, yeah. for 50 to 100 years. Uh, and, it's, and it's not just that things are too crowded but they also don't function the way that the economy functions now. It's not set up for a nine, you know, a 24-hour all-direction type of type of system. It was really created to get everybody into Manhattan, you know, at, at rush hour. Yeah, and and um, I'm actually not sure if if you guys got into the buses at all, but mm -hmm. you know, the city controller just put out this report about how the bus routes haven't been updated right. in decades right. and that's you know, yeah. along that same theme. Right? Yeah, yeah. So so this is this is, you know, another one of the sixty one <laughs> recommendations in there that didn't don't get a lot of play right. immediately, but we think is really important. Uh, you know, no, the, the the bus system right now is just really a travesty from what it needs to be. I mean I've studied the plan. I just don't have all sixty one memories. You know, I, I forget a lot of in, I forget <laughs> a lot of things that are in yeah. there. <laughs> It's like what you said that? Oh, I, okay. So, uh, so, but so, yeah. So, but but just to back to Carol's point yeah, for a yeah. second, the political will, the the long term vision of planning. You know, I was watching some of the videos on the website mm -hmm. for the plan, and it's great how you um, guys have put this forward with you know a lot of multimedia and a lot of accessible ways of of getting to know what you're proposing. And one of the things that stuck out to me is this idea of you know getting this out of the four-year political cycles of mayors and governors and, 
and how do you do that? And how do you get people to in government to plan yeah. long term where they're not going to see the payoff in their uh, tenure? Yeah, a couple of things. I mean, one is that you know, you know, a mayor or governor is not going to do that because they, you know, they do have kind of a four or eight or eight year term. I mean, I, I say there's, there's exceptions. I mean, obviously, they can take on a, a legacy issue that they really want to be remembered for. But still, you need to show that some accomplishments during their term of during their term of office. So that's part of it. It's to break down these big ideas into what can, you know, the next mayor, the next governor accomplish for, you know, for one of these. But part of it also is to make sure that there's a kind of an ongoing, you know, civic infrastructure that's really pushing these over the long term. That's our job, Carol, yours and mine, to kind of, you know, keep those alive and, and, and pushing it and to get and to create, uh, you know, a number of small victories. I mean, I'll, I'll take, you know, go back to some of the regional housing issues we talked about, for example. Just we've said, you know, we need to deal with the affordability crisis. You know, we need another million units of housing that aren't there at different at different income levels. Some of that's going to have to happen in the five boroughs, but a lot of it's going to have to happen outside in places that around train stations that don't have, you know, zoning for multifamily housing now. Um, you know, we think you could put another quarter of a million housing units around those stations around the uh, around the region. And as you start to get into things like driverless cars and and you know even Uber and Lyft services, you're not going to need those seas of parking lots around there. So that's kind of the long-term trajectory for it. But what you're seeing is a growing number of of municipalities and communities that are starting to do that on their own. And the more that they start to do it, the more the people in the next town say, oh, this isn't so bad. It's actually pretty good. You know, we're seeing that with what we're doing with some work in Suffolk County, where we produced a plan for, for Amityville for kind of some downtown revitalization. And as soon as we finished that, the, you know, Lindenhurst next door said, hey, that looks pretty good. We'd like to see that. So it's kind of breaking these down into small victories and things that people can see the success of. Um, we talked about, you know, the L train a little bit. If we if we can really make this whole L train reconstruction closure work in a way that that people can see, okay, we do have other transportation options, and then when it's done, it's actually much better than when it was before. The next time we do it, it'll be a little bit easier for that to accomplish. Speaking of the trains, mm -hmm. um, two things I wanted to get to on that is you're proposing expansions of rail systems. Again, this is thinking big. This is thinking long term. Yep. This is sometimes very expensive projects, but mm -hmm. with funding ideas, it's not like you're just saying, figure it out. What, what are what are some of those ideas around expanding the rail system and connecting the rail system? Yeah. So we have probably one of the biggest ideas in, in the plan is connecting the three commuter rail systems into just, you know, what would functionally be one regional rail system. And it would really be something more similar to what you have in Europe with metro systems, where uh, instead of having, you know, kind of scheduled service that might run, you know, every seven minutes for some places in, uh, you know, during, during rush hour and then every 90 minutes, you know, during, during midday. I mean, you'd still obviously have different frequencies at different times of day, but it would, but they'd run on a regular schedule. So you would have, you know, if you were coming in from Mineola, you would know that this, these trains run every 15 minutes and they would be more frequent. But it requires more capacity in the system. It requires some connections. The place where you have the 
biggest bottleneck now is is over the Hudson River. So that's where you need to start. Um, you know, there. If you think of the number of crossings you have over the East River, and I forget how many there are. You know, kind of the four. You know, trains, whether they're subways or commuter rails or something, and you have, you know, basically one. You know, across the Hudson River. Uh, you know, that's why you have over half the people who commute into the city by just by transit take take bus as opposed to train, which is not the case anywhere, not else, ideal. anywhere else yeah. in the region. So, so obviously the, you know, building the new gateway tunnels is kind of the most critical thing that needs to happen first, but it would be a missed opportunity if we didn't use that to extend those tunnels into Sunnyside Yards, which you think would cost about another $4 billion, but that would create through running service at Penn Station. And that opens up a whole set of possibilities for, uh, you know, for running trains between different parts of the system. You could get another, you know, 30% more trains through Penn Station if you did it that way. You could also open up rail service in New Jersey in places like Bergen County and Monmouth that don't have it already. So that's, that's kind of the starting point and the most important piece. But, you know, over, we, but the plan builds out something over the next 40 years so that you would actually hit, see a full integration of those yeah systems. interconnectivity sounds like uh, a smart a smart way to go we have to talk about this uh, shutdown of the trains. Sure. You want you want to shut the trains for twenty three hours of the twenty four hours a day. We we read in, <laughs> we read in the paper. Um, this was yeah. this was a recommendation. Did you expect um, the response? I mean, there was sort of a media yeah. blitz on they want to shut sure. the trains down overnight, and then there was a political backlash. And yeah, yeah. what yeah. happened? You know, what, you know what's we, the actual recommendation first? Yeah, so let me that. <laughs> so so the actual recommendation is. Is one it, it is it is not to shut down transit service at at you know at night for it would be four nights a week Monday Tuesday Wednesday Thursday nights from 12:30 a.m. to five in the morning that you would instead of having subway service you would run high speed bus services along along the line so it's based, and and when you think about it at you know at that hour of the night train service is awful and streets are totally uncongested. So you can run buses, you know, much more quickly and frequently and get people there quicker. In the meantime, if you look at what train services actually like at 2 in the morning, uh, you know, at best it's a, they, they're scheduled to run every 20 minutes and maybe 45 minutes later a train will show up and that's when they do a lot of their work anyway, so it's rerouted. So instead of having all of that work done in evening hours or weekends when service ridership is actually going up and so you would you would have it concentrated in those hours of the night for uh, you know you know four weekday nights a week and you would have service that you know for many people could end up being better it could be you know some people would uh, you know it would probably not be as good but it may it should still be good enough but it's and it's clearly something that would need to be further evaluated before you would you would implement it but it's the sort of idea that we think if you really want to fix the subways, you know, in our lifetime, you are going to have to shut down the system at certain times. Whether no. it's this or something else, you know, is a, is a question. I'm sure it happens to both of you, but people are always saying to me, oh, I was just in any international city. Yeah. And their system is so much better than ours. And I say to them, yes. And it's closed in the middle of the night so that they can keep the system up. No one else runs 24 hours a day. And they always go, oh, I hadn't thought about that, mm -hmm. you know. It's really, 
not possible to have a system as extensive yeah. as this one is, yeah. not even to get to yeah. expanding it, yeah. and have no time period when you know that you have clear tracks yeah. and you can work on it. Right. Uh, you don't even, you, you could do it, you could rotate. Mm-hmm. No, you could have yeah. right. four lines have are shut this year right. and four lines are shut next year, yeah. just so that you would have an uninterrupted yeah. period of time to do all the things that need to be done. Yeah. And no one else does it this way. Right. And that's part a large right. part of why their systems right. run better. Right. And, you, and you can't be cavalier about it. I mean, there are people who depend on transit service at night to get to work, uh, all, of those, all of those pieces, and that's something you really have to look into. You know, who would really be impacted and how? And how do you address that? I mean, it, it, look, it, maybe it's cheaper to, you know, to subsidize them with a, you know, with a, an Uber or Lyft ticket at that hour. Right? You know, who knows? But, it, but you know, you need to address those, you know, people who really depend on the yes. system at those hours. But there are diff- what we're trying to say is, like, let's look at what the problem is and what are some better ways to solve it rather than say, let's just stick with every, the way we've been doing things for the last 50 years. Well, I'm, I'm sure it got a lot more attention than was expected because, you, as you have discussed, you have some many large-scale kind of big-picture ideas and proposals, but it is in some ways kind of a, a little microcosm of the problem of planning, right. which is just a reaction that things have to stay the way they are, mm-hmm. and it's very hard for people to, to get beyond that. Yeah, which is a great point to then ask what are what are some of the timelines like are there things that you're saying to governor cuomo mayor de blasio the other mayors and governors involved in the tri-state mm-hmm. area and some of these um, municipal hubs that you are working yep. with here yeah are there things that you're saying hey here's a 2018 action item mm-hmm. here's a 2019 action item yep. you know this is a 25-year plan but we've got a bunch of things that need action now yeah so i would say on the on the transportation side we put out kind of a a, you know a 15-year reconstruction idea which you know one example of that is the uh, modernizing the signal system under you know under current mta plans it would take about 50 years to do it system-wide we think we can do it in in 15 (laughs) you know so uh you know so but but clearly kind of you know getting a which you know, which the MTA is is doing. We want to get them to go farther with it in terms of in terms of accelerating that. Well, they had a genius competition. Yes, and it may be that one of the geniuses suggestions is that what they asked mm-hmm. for yeah. ways to do the signals more quickly. Yeah, right. Maybe right. we'll get an announcement of the some. geniuses are are thinking and yeah. and they're supposed to report for duty soon yeah, yeah. um uh, right yeah. um you know so but you're proposing in a 15-year timeline you're proposing and i don't want to get you know too bogged down in the institutions you know that that's a little bit of the yeah. drier subject matter but you're mm-hmm. proposing a new uh, subway Reconstruction Public Benefit Corporation to really focus in on the subway system in a 15-year... Right, right. I mean, the MTA is just, 
in, is so vast and it has so much that it's responsible for and you have such a crisis with the subway system now. So what we're, what we're talking about is not just, you know, kind of, you know, doing the maintenance and getting things to work well, but really having a, you know, at the end of this 15-year period, having a really modern subway system that works, you know, much better than what anything that people have seen in decades for it. So that's, you know, so one of, but, but that's, you know, needs to start now. And that's uh, one of the reasons you have to close the system down at night. In, is so that you, you know, can do all you know, that work. Or do the fast track programs or, you know, kind of the L train type closures, you know, that that sort of thing with it. We think there are some opportunities on the on the housing side too. Um, you know, for one thing the uh, uh, you know there's uh, you know, there's there's a there's a cap on you know the you know the building height and density that you can put in Manhattan, which is a state mandated cap. Uh, of you know twelve FAR for people who know FAR, but it's a you know but essentially it's it's it it limits the um, the amount of you know residential reconstruction that you could do uh, you know it, to a much smaller you know uh, envelope than what you have many you know office residential buildings already. So for place you know so that's something that we think there's an opportunity to make some changes in the state. And basically what it would do, it would give the city control over that. So it would still go through, you know, ULERP and rezoning and all of those pieces. And because you now have a, uh, you know, an inclusionary zoning law in the city that would also create some affordable housing there at the same, at the same time for it. So, you know, so there's, uh, and then there are different, um, you know, kind of Development proposals and and other rezonings in in some of the suburban areas, which I, it's it's not that there's kind of a, you know, a critical window. It's more kind of you know taking advantage of opportunities as they come up, as they come up for it. And and so we're in our last couple of minutes here with Chris Jones from the Regional Plan Association, um, talking about their fourth plan, uh, 25 year plan for the tri-state region. And we're scratching the surface here. We're talking about some of the big things. Folks should absolutely dig into the details of the plan, watch some of the videos, uh, look around at the 61 proposals. Um, and you have stuff in here about walking and biking and green space and you know yeah. some of the things we're, we're not, we yeah. haven't yet touched on at yeah. least. Um, you mentioned, you know, climate change, sustainability, things like that. You mm -hmm. also talk about jobs and wages. So it's a, it's a very comprehensive... Yeah. Um, undertaking here, so so folks should definitely check out a lot of the details. Uh, should we? Do, are you thinking that we should be expecting that New York City is just going to continue to grow, 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 and that the other urban areas within the tri-state region, you know, this trend that you mm -hmm. mentioned at the beginning of our discussion here, is that projected to just continue, or do we not really know? It really depends on what we do. Uh, you know, I think. Our assumption in this, and you know, we did, you know, we you know looked at some economic forecasting and, and and trends, is that, you know, unless things change fundamentally in the world, which they always could, uh, you know, the demand is going to be there for, uh, you know, for people and businesses to come to New York and the and the region in the future. But if we don't create the housing capacity for it, if we don't create the infrastructure capacity, you will have the worst of both worlds. You will continue to have overcrowding. I mean, overcrowding and homelessness has gone up in the last five years, uh, you know, more than it had, uh, you know, in, in decades previously. So you will have, you, you won't get the economic boost that you could, and you will still have things overcrowded. So, so a lot of our, uh, you know, philosophy at RPA, which is one of the hardest, you know, you know, create the capacity for more than you expect 
instead of trying to, you know, kind of catch up with what's already happening. I thought that your general frame for the plan was let's figure out what needs to be done in each of your four focus areas mm -hmm. so that the region could accommodate another three million people. Yeah, over the next 20 right. years, it was, it was right. 2 million people and 4 million jobs is what we, is okay. what we had for 2 it. million people. Yeah. yeah, so, and we oh, think right. that if you don't, we think if you continue with the, with the level of housing and infrastructure we're doing now, you would only get about half of that amount. And from, um, I'm sure this is something maybe, Carol, you want to weigh in, but from a, a budgetary, you know, the, again, this is where we get into a lot of these political conversations. Um, is it essential that you're showing everybody, here's the idea and here's how we pay for it? Um, is that essential to any of the viability of this? Or, you know, something like congestion pricing is in here again, as mm -hmm. we discussed again yep. at the beginning. Um, is that essential to making these, these things viable? Well, of course, you have to have revenue streams. And that's um, sometimes the plan just says, oh, there needs to be a revenue stream. And it's hard to come up with what they are specifically, but that's why the plan is very oriented towards things like transit-related development, where you will use the value that's created by the development to fund it, or things like you know carbon surcharges. Um, but yes, it's going. Part of the reason we don't do the type of expansive planning um, that the RPA thinks should be done. And part of the reason that we are always catching up is because things cost money and it's a lot easier politically to just kind of get by and deal with crises than it is to tell people that all of these things have price tags associated with them. And there are many parts of the world, again, that people point to for having better systems, infrastructure, where taxes are much higher than they are here, right. and user fees are much higher than they are here. Mm -hmm. And people just expect that they're getting something in return for it, but it, it requires funding, and, and Americans aren't really quite in that frame <laughs> of mind. So Chris, take us out here with just um, a, a last thought or two in terms of what RPA is, is doing here into 2018 mm -hmm. to uh, move this forward. So I think it's we're going to be moving on a on a few different fronts. I mean, one thing that we've we've had a lot of you know partners in this process. You know, like I think you know CBC has been very helpful with it. You know, we have a whole number of uh, of grassroots community organizations we've worked with. You know, other civic organizations. So we are going to have some you know some targeted campaigns around this. Certainly around you know kind of the. Uh, you know the you know the subway reconstruction in various in various forms. You know gateway we will have with it some of the uh, uh, you know in some particular campaigns around um, you know around you know some of the uh, you know the climate environmental and housing pieces too. Uh, you know we have and there are even some kind of you know really kind of you know feel good proposal to have like creating a whole regional trail network, you know, yeah, that we'll, no, have, that's, that's, we'll have, you know, that you can, that, you know, me, so yeah. this, I mean, so, so this, the, the, you know, the planning and implementation shouldn't all be, you know, kind of, this is so hard, you know, it's, you know, because there's a lot, it, it's all about, you know, creating, you know, 
better neighborhoods, better places for people to live, you know, and and kind of you know showing that, you know, that's what what these plans can can produce, and kind of working on both a neighborhood level to try to get people to start working on that, as well as as kind of on the larger political frame. Well, Chris Jones from RPA, we thank you for joining us, and we'll be uh, watching and and participating to different degrees as this moves forward. That's great. Thanks very much. Thanks, Chris. Great.